Part Two, Chapter Nine of the Fur Country. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fur Country by Jules Verne, Chapter Nine, Kalumaha's Adventures. Kalumaha on the floating island, two hundred miles from the American coast. It was almost incredible. The first thing to be ascertained was whether the poor creature still breathed. Was it possible to restore her to life? Mrs. Barnett loosened her clothes and found that her body was not yet quite cold. Her heart beat feebly, but it did beat. The blood they had seen came from a slight wound in her hand. Madge bound it up with her handkerchief, and the bleeding soon ceased. At the same time, Mrs. Barnett. Raised the poor girl's head and managed to pour a few drops of rum between her parted lips. She then bathed her forehead and temples with cold water and waited. A few minutes passed by, and neither of the watchers were able to utter a word. So anxious were they lest the faint spark of life remaining to the young Eskimo should be quenched. But at last, Kalumaha's breast heaved with a faint sigh. Her hands moved feebly. And presently she opened her eyes, and recognizing her preserver, she murmured, "Mrs. Barnett, Mrs. Barnett." The lady was not a little surprised at hearing her own name. Had Kalumaha voluntarily sought the floating island, and did she expect to find her old European friends on it? If so, how had she come to know it, and how had she managed to reach the island, two hundred miles from the mainland? How could she have guessed that the ice field, as bearing Mrs. Barnett and all the occupants of Fort Hope away from the American coast, really it all seemed quite inexplicable. She lives; she will recover," exclaimed Madge, who felt the vital heat and pulsation returning to the poor bruised body. "Poor child, poor child," said Mrs. Barnett, much affected. She murmured my name when she was at the point of death. But now Kalumaha again half opened her eyes and looked about her with a dreamy, unsatisfied expression. Presently, however, seeing Mrs. Barnett, her face brightened. The same name again burst from her lips, and painfully raising her hand, she let it fall on that of her friend. The anxious care of the two women soon revived Kalumaha, whose extreme exhaustion arose not only from fatigue but also from hunger. She had eaten nothing for forty-eight hours. Some pieces of cold venison and a little rum refreshed her, and she soon felt able to accompany her newly found friends to the fort. Before starting, however, Kalumaha, seated on the sand between Mrs. Barnett and Madge, overwhelmed them with thanks and expressions of attachment. Then she told her story. She had not forgotten the Europeans of Fort Hope. And the thought of Mrs. Paulina Barnett had been ever present with her. It was not by chance, as we shall see, that she had come to Victoria Island. The following is a brief summary of what Kalumaha related to Mrs. Barnett. Our readers will remember the young Eskimo's promise to come and see her friends at Fort Hope again in the fine season of the next year. The long polar night being over, and the month of May having come round. Kalumaha set out to fulfil her pledge. 
She left Russian America, where she had wintered, and accompanied by one of her brothers-in-law, started for the peninsula of Victoria. Six weeks later, towards the middle of June, she got to that part of British America, which is near Cape Bathurst. She at once recognized the volcanic mountains shutting in Liverpool Bay and twenty miles further east she came to walruses bay where her people had so often hunted morses and seals but beyond the bay on the north there was nothing to be seen the coast suddenly sank to the south-east in an almost straight line cape eskimo and cape bathurst alike had disappeared kalumaha understood what had happened Either the whole of the peninsula had been swallowed up by the waves, or it was floating away as an island no one knew whither. Kalumaha's tears flowed fast at the loss of those whom she had come so far to see. Her brother-in-law, however, had not appeared surprised at the catastrophe. A kind of legend or tradition had been handed down amongst the nomad tribes of North America that Cape Bathurst did not form part of the mainland but had been joined on to it thousands of years before and would sooner or later be torn away in some convulsion of nature hence the surprise at finding the factory founded by hobson at the foot of the cape but with the unfortunate reserve characteristic of the race and perhaps also under the influence of that enmity which all natives feel for those who settle in their country they said nothing to the lieutenant whose fort was already finished Kalumaha knew nothing of this tradition, which after all rested on no trustworthy evidence, and probably belonged to the many northern legends relating to creation. This was how it was that the colonists of Fort Hope were not warned of the danger they ran in settling on such a spot. Had a word in season been spoken to Hobson, he would certainly have gone further in search of some firmer foundation for his fort than this soil certain peculiarities of which he had noticed at the first when kalumaha had made quite sure that all traces of cape bathurst was gone she explored the coast as far as the further side of washburn bay but without finding any sign of those she sought and at last there was nothing left for her to do but to return to the fisheries of russian america she and her brother-in-law left walrus's bay at the end of june and following the coast got back to new georgia towards the end of july after an absolutely fruitless journey kalumaha now gave up all hope of again seeing mrs barnett and the other colonists of fort hope she concluded that they had all been swallowed up by the ocean long ago at this part of her tale the young eskimo looked at mrs barnett with eyes full of tears and pressed her hand affectionately and then she murmured her thanks to god for her own preservation through the means of her friend kalumaha on her return home resumed her customary occupations and worked with the rest of her tribe at the fisheries near icy cape a point a little above the seventieth parallel and more than six hundred miles from cape bathurst nothing worthy of note happened during the first half of the month of april but towards the end the storm began which had caused hobson so much uneasiness and which had apparently extended its ravages over the whole of the arctic ocean and beyond bering strait it was equally violent at icy cape and on victoria island and as the lieutenant ascertained in his bearings the latter was then not more than two hundred miles from the coast
As Mrs. Barnett listened to Kalumaha, her previous information enabled her rapidly to find the key to the strange events which had taken place, and to account for the arrival of the young native on the island. During the first days of the storm, the Eskimo of Icy Cape were confined to their huts. They could neither get out nor fish. But during the night of the 31st August, a kind of presentiment led Kalumaha to venture down to the beach, and braving the wind and rain in all their fury, she peered anxiously through the darkness at the waves rising mountains high. Presently she thought she saw a huge mass, driven along by the hurricane, parallel with the coast, gifted with extremely keen sight, as all these wandering tribes accustomed to the long dark polar nights, she felt sure that she was not mistaken. Something of this vast bulk was passing two miles from the coast, and that something could be neither a whale, a boat, nor at this time of the year even an iceberg. But Kalumaha did not stop to reason. The truth flashed upon her like a revelation. Before her excited imagination rose the images of her friends. She saw them all once more. Mrs. Barnett, Madge, Lieutenant Hobson, the baby she had covered with kisses at Fort Hope. Yes, they were passing, borne along in the storm on a floating ice-field. Kalumaha did not doubt or hesitate a moment. She felt that she must tell the poor shipwrecked people, which she was sure they were, of the close vicinity of the land. She ran to her hut, seized a torch of tow and resin, such as the Eskimo use when fishing at night, lit it and waved it on the beach at the summit of Icy Cape. This was the fire which Hobson and Long had seen when crouching on Cape Michael on the night of the 31st August. Imagine the delight of the young Eskimo when a signal replied to hers. When she saw the huge fire lit by Lieutenant Hobson, the reflection of which reached the American coast, although he did not dream that he was so near it. But it quickly went out. The lull in the storm only lasted a few minutes, and the fearful gale, veering around to the southeast, swept along with redoubled violence. Kalumaha feared that her prey, so she called the floating island, was about to escape her, and that it would not be driven on to the shore. She saw it fading away and knew that it would soon disappear in the darkness and be lost to her on the boundless ocean. It was indeed a terrible moment for the young native, and she determined at all hazards to let her friends know of their situation. There might yet be time for them to take some steps for their deliverance, although every hour took them further from the continent. She did not hesitate a moment. Her kayak was at hand, the frail bark in which she had more than once braved the storms of the Arctic Ocean. She pushed it down to the sea, hastily laced on the sealskin jacket, fastened to the canoe, and, the long paddle in her hand, she plunged into the darkness. Mrs. Barnett here pressed the brave child to her heart, and Madge shed tears of sympathy. When launched upon the roaring ocean, Kalumaha found the change of wind in her favour, the wave dashed over her kayak, it is true, but they were powerless to harm the light boat, which floated on their crest like a straw. It was capsized several times, but a stroke of the paddle righted it at once. After about an hour's hard work, Kalumaha could see the wandering island more distinctly, 
and had no longer any doubt of effecting her purpose, as she was but a quarter of a mile from the beach. It was then that she uttered the cry which Hobson and Long had heard. But alas, Kalumah now felt herself being carried away towards the west by a powerful current, which could take firmer hold of her kayak than of the floating island. In vain she struggled to beat back with her paddle. The light boat shot along like an arrow. She uttered scream after scream, but she was unheard, for she was already far away. And when the day broke, the coast of Alaska and the island she had wished to reach were but two distant masses on the horizon. Did she despair? Not yet. It was impossible to get back to the American continent in the teeth of the terrible wind which was driving the island before it at a rapid pace, taking it out two hundred miles in thirty-six hours, and assisted by the current from the coast. There was but one thing left to do, to get to the island by keeping in the same current which was drifting it away. But alas, the poor girl's strength was not equal to her courage. She was faint from want of food, and exhausted as she was, she could no longer wield her paddle. For some hours she struggled on, and seemed to be approaching the island, although those on it could not see her, as she was but a speck upon the ocean. She struggled on until her stiffened arms and bleeding hands fell powerless, and, losing consciousness, she was floated along in her frail kayak at the mercy of winds and waves. She did not know how long this lasted. She remembered nothing more, until a sudden shock roused her. Her kayak had struck against something. It opened beneath her, and was plunged into cold water, the freshness of which revived her. A few moments later she was flung upon the sand, in a dying state, by a large wave. This had taken place the night before, just before dawn, that is to say, about two or three o'clock in the morning. Kalumaha had then been seventy hours at sea, since she embarked. The young native had no idea where she had been thrown, whether on the continent or on the floating island, which she had so bravely sought, but she hoped the latter. Yes, hoped that she had reached her friends, although she knew that the wind and current had driven them into the open sea, and not towards the coast. The thought revived her, and shattered as she was, she struggled to her feet, and tried to follow the coast. She had, in fact, been providentially thrown on that portion of Victoria Island, which was formerly the upper corner of Walrus's Bay. But, worn away as it was by the waves, she did not recognize the land with which she had once been familiar. She tottered on, stopped, and again struggled to advance. The beach before her appeared endless. She had so often to go round where the sea had encroached upon the sand. And so, dragging herself along, stumbling and scrambling up again, she at last approached the little wood where Mrs. Barnett and Madge had halted that very morning. We know that the two women found the footprints left by Kalumaha in the snow not far from this very spot, and it was at a short distance further on that the poor girl fell for the last time. Exhausted by fatigue and hunger, she still managed to creep along, on hands and knees, for a few minutes longer. A great hope kept her from despair, for she had at last recognized Cape Eskimo, 
at the foot of which she and her people had encamped the year before. She knew now that she was but eight miles from the factory, and that she had only to follow the path she had so often traversed when she went to visit her friends at Fort Hope. Yes, this hope sustained her, but she had scarcely reached the beach when her forces entirely failed her, and she again lost all consciousness. But for Mrs. Barnett she would have died. "'But, dear lady,' she added, "'I knew that you would come to my rescue, "'and that God would save me by your means.' "'We know the rest. "'We know the providential instinct "'which led Mrs. Barnett and Madge "'to explore this part of the coast on this very day, "'and the presentiment which made them "'visit Cape Eskimo after they had rested, "'and before returning to Fort Hope. "'We know, too, as Mrs. Barnett related to Kalumaha, how the piece of ice had floated away, and how the bear had acted under the circumstances. "'And after all,' added Mrs. Barnett with a smile, "'it was not I who saved you, but the good creature, without whose aid, you would never have come back to us, and if ever we see him again, we will treat him with the respect due to your preserver.' During this long conversation, Kalumaha was rested and refreshed, and Mrs. Barnett, proposed that they should return to the fort at once, as she had already been too long away. The young girl immediately rose, ready to start. Mrs. Barnett was indeed most anxious to tell the lieutenant of all that had happened during the night of the storm, when the wandering island had neared the American continent. But she urged Kalumaha to keep her adventures secret, and to say nothing about the situation of the island, she would naturally be supposed to have come along the coast in fulfilment of the promise she had made to visit her friends in the fine season her arrival would tend only to strengthen the belief of the colonists that no changes had taken place in the country around cape bathurst and to set at rest the doubts any of them might have entertained it was about three o'clock when madge and mrs barnett with kalumaha hanging on her arm set out towards the east, and before five o'clock in the afternoon they all arrived at the postern of the fort. End of chapter 9